we had planned on having Megan, Pastor Megan, share with us today. She's incredibly busy. And this was a Sunday that she was available, so we were able to uh, book her, if you will. Um, I know many of you obviously know that this weekend is a weekend where we as a nation celebrate Dr. King's legacy and his work in our nation. And um, we as a church are committed to being a church that wrestles with and deals and talks about issues of racial justice and justice, not just on a weekend, but throughout the year. And so for those of you that are saying, why are we spending this particular weekend talking about this issue? It's a combination of one, this was the one weekend that our pastor was available. And secondly, we as a, we as a church will spend the rest of the year continuing to talk about various issues of injustice that Dr. King lived and died for. Uh, Megan, Gillian is a director of women's ministries for the Covenant Church, the denomination that we belong to. In that role, she loves to connect with women, call them to deeper discipleship, and bring joy and insight to our understanding of the scriptures. Megan is a leader of AVA, which stands for Advocacy for Victims of Abuse, a key ministry of the Covenant that provides training and equipping for pastors and leaders about domestic violence childhood sexual abuse. She's been a ministry spouse for 40 years and is married to Scott, who's a senior pastor of Naperville Covenant Church. And she's a grandmother to four great kids, and she's extremely grateful, she says, for the ministry of New Community Covenant Church and those of us that serve the Lord here. She is going to preach on and talk about and address the church's response to sexual abuse, to sexual harassment, and this watershed moment that our country and our culture faces. I don't know of a better person that is able to bring a gospel-centered perspective to this incredibly difficult and sensitive topic than Pastor Megan. So as she comes up, I would love for us to welcome her with a warm round of applause. Join me. Long way around. Thank you, friend. God bless you. So it's really, really great that on this day when you as a church community are grieving, we have a light topic like domestic violence and sexual abuse to talk about. But you know, friends, as the people of God, we should not be afraid. We should not fear to talk about such difficult things. For way too long, the church has been a little shy talking about these things. Perhaps because we have not known what to say or what to do. Perhaps because it's so laden with so much confusion and so everybody's got a history of some kind and it all weaves together. So here we are today and I am grateful for the opportunity to talk about this incredible moment uh, in the life and the culture of our country where we suddenly have new language uh, that starts with hashtag me too. It is so important to say that uh, this is a gigantic trigger alert right here and right now. In a room this big with this many people, there are certainly those 
who have experienced all kinds of sexual violence, perhaps physical abuse, domestic violence. There are people here who have been in painful and harmful relationships. And so can we agree together as the people of God this morning that if anyone feels uncomfortable or if you perhaps feel some deep, deep sadness welling up inside that you may take uh, your leave of this space. Can we agree to that? Yeah. And that no one will think less or think anything about you other than to pray and to care together as we are in these moments. So, I am grateful, Pastor Peter, uh, to be with you on this sad day in the life of your congregation. But, but from where I sit, friends, it is a little bit of a happy day, I have to say. It's a little bit of a good day because I wish that every church were willing to address this issue. Many congregations actually have reached out to us in recent weeks and months saying, oh my goodness, can you help? We are overwhelmed. Because hasn't this been a lovely moment in the most horrible way? That as women have found their voice and they've found the courage and they have spoken up and they've said, yes, me too, me too, me too, me too. By the millions in hundreds, over a hundred countries now. Isn't it wonderful? Can we celebrate together that there is new courage to deal with the issue of abuse and violence and violation of what God has made precious and whole and wonderful. So I am grateful for that. And I thank you, Pastor Peter, and your team here at Newcom for saying, well, it might be a little bit scary, but we can go there and we can go there together, okay? And pardon me, I'm going to have to take little light moments every now and then because you simply can't talk for this long about this topic and not lighten the load somewhere along the way. I'm here to say uh, today that Jesus is for all of us. Jesus is for us in these moments where we are struggling. And so if you are a person who has a background of abuse, Jesus is for you. I'm also aware that you may be a person who is actually aware and has a rising awareness that you have abused in some way. But don't go there. Remember that Jesus is also for you. If you are confused and you are wondering what to do about this, Jesus is for you. If you are a friend of someone who you know is in a hurtful, harmful relationship, Jesus is for you. And so today he would equip all of us to let down that little clench that comes when we talk about such things and that he would have us experience freedom together as a community of Jesus Christ and experience freedom to speak openly. I will not be salacious, I will not be prurient in my comments, but I will be open. And I will bring from the word of God the story of a horrible and tragic experience in the life of one of our most beloved leaders uh, in all of scripture. We'll get there. I also wanna say there are not a lot of children in the congregation, I'm glad to see that, but if anyone feels that they do not want their child here at this time, please feel free. 
making sure that I was up to speed with the most current things that are happening. I, I do dip into blog posts and I do read stories now and then. And when you do that in the Christian uh, sphere, you, you hear a lot of, well, have you ever been in church and heard a message on domestic violence or sexual harassment? And now, after today, you all can say, yes, sir, I sure have. So thanks be to God for this opportunity to talk about such things. Here's where we're going to go this morning, I hope. Pending the leading and intervention of the Holy Spirit. First, I want to be sure that together we all have the language and vocabulary we need to talk about such things. To talk about harassment, to talk about abuse, to talk about violation, and to talk about them and understand what they really are. Because it could be you've never thought about it and you couldn't really define it if you tried. So definitions are in order. Second, we'll look at this biblical narrative of a family in the scriptures. And we will grieve a little bit together. But we will also press in on what is actually happening with that family and see what we can learn to equip us and help us as New Community Covenant here in Logan Square to be more aware, to minister more effectively. That's where we're going. And then somewhere in there I will share with you a little bit of my story which deeply parallels the story of King David. So let's jump in. First of all, you have to have been hiding under a rock somewhere to not be aware of the hashtag MeToo moment that we are in. And one woman, actress Alyssa Milano, spoke up, thinking not much would happen from that moment. And we all know how incredibly huge it has been. There has been a cascade, a veritable cascade of people some well-known and some absolute nobodies who have been removed from positions of power and influence because of past behavior. And I love that women are finding their voice. And that would be one of the first things I want to say to you as a congregation that when women find their voice, oh, and let me say this is not only a women's issue. I apologize for not putting that in here sooner. It is not only a women's issue. It is primarily a women's issue. There certainly are men, and it could be in this congregation, that there are men who have experienced some form of domestic violence, sexual abuse, even harassment. And so please don't think that we're taking this as all a woman thing. But by and large, it's vastly much more a woman's issue. And it becomes a man's issue when it is men of power and influence who have been doing the harassing. So together, we're going to look at what God would say about this. So how about some definitions? What is, first of all, harassment, because that is the big topic that has, we've been dealing with lately. And how is, uh, what is abuse and how are they different? Okay. Sexual harassment includes unwelcome sexual advances, requests for sexual favors, verbal or physical conduct or communication of a sexual nature. It includes sexist remarks, unwelcome, please underscore that word, unwelcome, flirtation, inappropriate observations and scrutinizing, put-downs, conversational innuendo, as well as any unwanted, underscore unwanted, verbal, visual, or physical suggestion that is inappropriate. All right? 
You got it? We're not just talking about simple flirtation or a, an offhand comment. You look lovely today, okay? There are shades of nuance, and it's important to understand them. It's important to say that sexual harassment is never okay. We'll visit the doctrine of the Imago Dei in a little bit. But I remind us already, friends, that every one of us is created in the image and likeness of God. That's how he made us. And the heinous thing about harassment and abuse is that it destroys and crushes the image of God within us. That's what's so bad about it. And it removes from us the capacity to flourish, to live life as, as we read in John 10, 10, with fullness and with love and with a capacity to have joy and blessing for the abused. Those things can be really hard to grasp. All right, what about abuse? Well, abuse is a systematic pattern of behaviors, and I would underscore systematic and intentional. A systematic pattern of behaviors in a relationship used to gain and or maintain power and control over another. Abuse can include intimidation, fear, humiliation, degradation, stalking, agitation, disorientation, or other forms of serious emotional distress, as well as the forcing of undesired sexual behavior. Again, abuse is systematic, and it seeks to dominate and control its victim through a variety of actions. Some are overt, like physical assault, hitting, pushing, shoving. There is sexual abuse, which is any form of unwanted or forced sexual activity, including suggestive talk, fondling, unwanted sexual play, and stalking. We also need to keep in mind that there is verbal abuse that in some ways is more damaging. There is simple neglect where children or women simply do not have what they need to eat, survive, and thrive. There is emotional abuse. There is psychological abuse. Financial abuse and spiritual abuse, and in all these, the abuser seeks to have control over behavior or to limit accessibility for the victim. I hope you are getting a picture here, and I hope it doesn't feel like we're swirling in a cesspool. We are doing what theologian Francois Mauriac tells us to do, to see life steadily and to see it whole, to be unafraid as the people of God, to look at things. You know, this is one of the things that has characterized us as the Evangelical Covenant Church. We've been unafraid at times to go to these difficult places. And this ministry, AVA, Advocacy for Victims of Abuse, has been around for over 10 years. And the Covenant Church said this is important. And so we will form this and do this. So friends, if you do not remember anything else today, please remember, <coughs> pardon me, please remember that abuse is about power and control. It's not about the actual thing that's happening, but it's about one person getting power over another and controlling. This is what makes it so horrible that a person takes so much power and control in another's life that it blocks the working of God, actually. It can actually block the working of God. See, when he created us in his image and his likeness, 
It's the thing that separates us from animals, right? We love to say that, that we are created in the image and likeness of God. We're sentient beings. We function a higher, wiser, more beautiful level. We appreciate creation. God speaks to us through creation because we are made in his image. This is his intent, that we bear his image. But abuse damages the very image of God within us. That's why it is so awful. And I just want to say that in general, and I'm not referring necessarily to this church, churches can really add to the pain of a victim by propagating silence, by playing into the shame, by keeping secrets when a bold, prophetic voice is what's needed. So Newcom, I'm calling you today to find your prophetic voice. As a body, as individuals, perhaps as a team, as a group, as ministry staff, as leaders, find your voice. As the abused and the unabused, as those who care and who want to advocate, as those who are seeking healing, as those who really never thought about it, find your voice. We need to speak about this. <coughs> no one should live with unhealed abuse. So, we're going to move into the story of this family. My passage is 2 Samuel 13. And it's a story that until I had been a Christian for many, many years, I didn't know was in the Bible. And when I came across it in a daily quiet time, I was stunned. I was saddened. I was shocked. But I also realized, oh, that's me. Right in the words of Scripture. And perhaps I'll have a chance to share with you just a little bit of my story as a survivor of deep family pain and sickness and sexual abuse. So here we are in the story of the rape of Tamar. And I'm sorry if that word uh, is difficult to hear, but that is what happened, and that is the word the scripture uses. The story is set in the royal family of King David, his household. And there's four members who get entangled in a very tragic experience. It leads to incredible brokenness and tragedy. But friends, we must look and see this because we need to know. We have two half-brothers. Both names start with A, so don't get them confused. We have Amnon, who is Tamar's half-brother. He's uh, the son of King David, but he has a different mom. And then we have Absalom, who is the biological sibling of Tamar. It's Amnon who is our um, antagonist today. Reading the scripture. Now David's son Absalom had a beautiful sister named Tamar. And Amnon, her half-brother, fell desperately in love with her. Amnon became so obsessed with Tamar that he became ill. See, she was a virgin, and Amnon thought he could never have her. And yes, that word have is what you picture. But Amnon had a very crafty friend, his cousin Jonadab, and he was the son of David's brother Shimea. One day, Jonadab said to Amnon, what's the trouble? Why should the son of the king look so dejected morning after morning? So Amnon told him, I am in love with Tamar, 
my brother Absalom's sister. Well, Jonadab said, I'll tell you what to do. Go back to bed and pretend you are ill. When your father comes to see you, ask him to let Tamar come and prepare some food for you. Tell him you'll feel better if she prepares it as you watch and feeds you with her own hands. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be sick. And when the king came to see him, Amnon asked him, Please, let my sister Tamar come. Let her come and cook my favorite dish as I watch and then let me eat it from her own hands. So David agreed and sent Tamar to Amnon's house to prepare some food for him. When Tamar arrived at Amnon's house, she went to the place where he was trying, lying down so she could watch him, so he could watch her mix some dough. Then she baked his favorite dish for him, but when she set the serving tray before him, he refused to eat. Everyone, get out of here, Amnon told his servants. So they all left. Then he said to Tamar, Now bring the food into my bedroom and feed it to me here. So Tamar took his favorite dish to him. But as she was feeding him, he grabbed her and he demanded, Come to bed with me, my darling sister. No, my brother, she cried. Don't be a fool. Don't do this to me. Such wicked things are not done in all of Israel. Where could I go in my shame? And you would be called one of the greatest fools in all Israel. Please just speak to the king about it. He will let you marry me. But Amnon wouldn't listen to her. And since he was stronger than she was, he raped her. Then suddenly Amnon's love turned to hate, and he hated her even more than he had loved her. Get out of here, he snarled at her. <coughs> no, no, Tamar cried. Sending me away now is worse than what you've already done to me. But Amnon wouldn't listen to her. He shouted for his servant and demanded, throw this woman out. <coughs> oh, I beg your pardon and locked the door behind her. <coughs> it is dry, isn't it? I would welcome a cough drop if someone has one. <coughs> But Amnon wouldn't listen to her. He shouted for his servant and demanded, throw this woman out and lock the door behind her. So the servant put her out and locked the door behind her. Thank you so much. I'm so sorry. I usually come prepared. <clears throat> she was wearing a long, beautiful robe, as was the custom in those days for the king's virgin daughters. But now Tamar tore her robe and put ashes on her head and then, with her face in her hands, went away crying. Her brother Absalom saw her and asked, Is it true that Amnon has been with you? Well, my sister, keep quiet for now. 
since he's your brother. Don't worry about it. So Tamar lived as a desolate woman in her brother Absalom's house. When King David heard, he was very angry. And though Absalom never spoke to Amnon about this, he hated Amnon deeply because of what he had done to his sister. Wow. What a crazy and dysfunctional family. All families are dysfunctional. So if you've ever been afraid to call your family dysfunctional, don't. You'll just be in great, great company. And we need to just draw a few things out of this uh, story. And uh, we just need to draw a few things that will help us. First of all, we see Amnon absolutely obsessed, right? We see him obsessed with his sister and he fuels it. And then his friends, rather than being community that are going to stop him and help him, in some way his friend Jonadab comes and actually plots a scheme. Now Jonadab should have done the right thing, shouldn't he? He should have said something to Amnon like, Dude, what is with you? Let's go saddle up our horses or our chariots and have a little bit of fun. But he takes Amnon deeper and deeper into a plot that will only damage this precious woman, a virgin in the kingly household. Abuse always involves some kind of deception. And typically there is a very egocentric person at the center of it or a very sick and deeply wounded person at the center of it. And in Amnon, we see both, don't we? Abusers often refuse to take responsibility for their actions, just as Amnon did. He says he's in love, but he's actually obsessed. Abusers often say, it's not my fault. You made me do it. Why did you dress seductively? Why did you talk back to me? Why did you use that money on that? Whatever it is, abusers are really good at deflecting blame and never owning what it is they, are done, they have done. There are lies and deceptions and the tragedy of the other family members who have that opportunity to come in and say, oh my gosh, this is a terrible thing that's happened. How can we support precious Tamar? How can we care for her? How can we create space for her to heal and recover from this? No, she's dismissed and it's minimized. Friends, we cannot afford to minimize the impact of harassment and abuse. That's what got us where we are today. Everybody says, look the other way. Don't worry about it. Don't think about it. What's the big deal? It's a big deal when something damages the image of God that he has put in us. It's a big deal. Even King David, although it says he was angry, it's very, very clear that he did nothing. He did nothing. And when Absalom, in a couple chapters later in the narrative here, when Absalom takes action and finally gets his half-brother Amnon killed out in the battlefield, and then it leads to bad things for Absalom, David simply mourns Absalom. Did David ever mourn 
what happened to Tamar? He should have. He should have. He should have been her biggest advocate. We need people to step up and speak the truth and shine the light, no matter what it is that is going on. Many abusers groom their victims. We can see how that happened. Uh, and by grooming, we mean just gradually reducing resistance. Now, Tamar, bless her heart, was obviously pretty naive in this story. But did you see how Amnon just kept reducing the resistance and removing anything that might keep him from this? It's incredible when he had the opportunity to stop it. I think the part that hurts me the most is, uh, well, there's two things I want to mention. Uh, that nobody stood with Tamar. Nobody took her part. Nobody gave her safe space to heal. And even in that moment when Amnon commands the servant to put her out of the room, even in that moment, the servant perhaps could have hatched some kind of simple plot to make space for her in the royal household. Even the servant is complicit. This is heartbreaking. Who was minding the store of this family? Certainly not the king, whose responsibility it was. There are fathers and grandfathers in the room here, mothers and grandmothers. There are aunties and cousins and sisters and friends who care deeply for young people in our lives. Friends, we need to mind the store. We need to have eyes that are open, that are watching, and that are careful, and that are guarding. We don't need to be hypervigilant. We don't need to be super anxious. We just need to be dialed in and aware of what's happening. Because horrible things will happen if we are not doing that. Anybody aware in the storyline here what, what the most recent experience in the life of David was shortly before this incident? Yeah, it was Bathsheba and Uriah. More sexual sin. And so I really believe that David was unable to deal with this crisis in his household because he was so overwhelmed with his own sin and shame. I think, in some respects, the most powerful, potent, heinous tool that the enemy of God's people has is shame. When we feel shame, that imago dei is nowhere to be found. When we feel shame, we believe we're defective. We believe something's wrong with us. We believe we're unacceptable. We believe we don't belong. We don't fit in. Shame does all this and more. And like some kind of magic cloak, it just swoops up over us and causes us to isolate and hide. This is what happened in David's household, and it's heartbreaking Betrayal. The very people that should have been advocating for Tamar betrayed her. The very people who should have been helping her turned their backs. Beloved community of Jesus Christ, we cannot do this. We must be there for one another. We must be trustworthy. We must be people who will stand with. And that really is what's been so powerful about hashtag me too, isn't it? That women have come along and said, 
Not only will I speak up, I will stand with you while you speak up. So Nucom, one thing I want to encourage you today is to give courage. To be givers of courage to those who need it. Stories need to be told in this body, in this place. Stories need to be heard and cherished. And people need prayers of healing and prayers of hope and prayers of help. I would say my own family mirrors the story of David. My parents met during World War II, came back to rebuild America as everyone did. I don't think they dealt with the difficult things they saw during the war, particularly my dad. He started climbing the corporate ladder. He became a very high-functioning alcoholic. Not the kind who was nasty and horrible, but the kind who just toddled off and went to bed. And he was absent through alcohol in many of the important moments in my life and in the life of our family. He did not mind the store. He was not watching what was happening. Like many people in the 50s and 60s, there was pornography in the home. Oh, it's harmless playboy. It led my brothers, however. I have two older brothers, one five years older, one seven years older. It led them to seek out harder pornography. I was exposed to that at a very young age. And it just became a very chaotic, sick, dysfunctional household where I was not protected. And so my next older brother, Jim, became my abuser for many years. I'm not really here to talk so much about my story other than to let you know this is all very real for me. And I know I am by far not the only person who has this story in this room today. But I can say by way of testimony and witness and gratitude to God that there is healing for people like me who had to hide in the closet so that parents just would leave her alone who had to just stay outside and play until the darkest hours of the night because nobody noticed her and called her in from the cold. I was terrified to give my life to Jesus Christ as a 14-year-old at a winter retreat because of the horrible things my brother and I had done. I thought Jesus would throw me over a cliff. And when it finally came to that moment that I could run from the hound of heaven no more and surrendered, I began a healing journey. It took a lot of years. Still going on. And I will say, you could even ask my son Lucas. He could tell you about all the mistakes that I've made as a parent. And he might tell you of a few joys as well. But I will say this. There is hope and healing through Jesus Christ, and through the community of his beloved people. Really, of all that we could talk about today, and there's so much we're leaving out, so if you're sitting here going, why isn't she talking about that? It's mainly because I'm looking at the clock. And I thank you that your ears are able to listen and that you are patient for this, but I want to be mindful of time. Our whole goal here today is to bring out the light of hope in Jesus Christ. And to say that we will be an unafraid and beloved community who can talk about such things. And our desire, our hope, is that a ministry would take root here at Newcom. Where people would form in a team and where advocacy for victims of abuse would actually be a part of the ministry of this church. We call advocacy for victims of abuse AVA. And uh, we, we use that acrostic, but it also is an image 
of a bird flying and taking flight. And that's part of what I picture when I think about healing and what God has done for me. He's been able to unfetter me from some of that shame and let me fly a little bit and feel freedom in Jesus Christ. Ava has a cousin named Mending the Soul. And Mending the Soul is the actual healing component. Ava is the advocacy. Ava is the awareness. Ava is the, this church understands. See, how powerful is it if we can say that to the community out there, that this church gets it, and that this will be a beloved community of healing and hope and restoration. Mending the soul is the place where the healing actually happens. So I don't know where you are in this narrative today. There is much more about what we could, we could say about what we should avoid and what we should press into. But I will say this. The story that we're talking about today is important. But it's not just important. It may be your story. And if it is, I want to invite you to take a step in the healing journey. I don't know what it would be, but God knows. So Pastor Peter, join me, would you? And we will enter into a season of inviting you for prayer, calling you to a deeper place where God meets you and promises to heal. God may be calling some of you to form that team that is going to make a difference that's going to be able to begin this ministry and create safe space. Oh, but friends, to all of us, could we just consecrate ourselves to be unafraid, to see life steadily, to see it whole, and stand together and give courage to one another. That's my prayer for us this morning. Thank you. Thank you. As Megan mentioned, um, one of the things that our church actually about a year and a half ago began praying and discerning in terms of how to respond to this was the formation of this ministry, AVA, Advocacy for Victims of Abuse. And I just want to be absolutely clear in terms of what Megan shared and what we're looking for. What we're looking for is a group of folks who would be a part of this team and maybe you could say a little bit more about that. Be a part of this team. And the training and the equipping is provided by the denomination. Right. But we're looking for folks, and I need you to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. I don't need folks to go, that sounds like a good idea. This is an enormous commitment, enormous commitment. And, and so if you could just share a little bit more about Ava in terms of what the denomination provides and what right. you've seen how it looks in other churches All that right. have done it. So what we would be talking about is a group of three or four or five people who would come together. We'd like to come and train the whole church in a four to eight hour AVA training so that you all could go a little bit deeper in your understanding, not just what I've been able to share in these few minutes today. We'd like to bring an AVA training to Newcom. We would like as many as people as possible to go deeper. Then a team would form. That team would be responsible to advocate, to dream ministry together. Could be that you would meet every month and have conversation. Could be you would create a community-based uh, gathering 
once or twice a year where people are able to come and talk. The team decides on its own what they're called to do, but we are there with training. And then ultimately for people to become trained in mending the soul and to be able to implement healing as a part of your small group ministry here is really what we desire. I know there are healthy people here who feel that tug that I should step forward. So perhaps to you, we're speaking this morning and asking you to consider, can you help create that safe space? So we want to see Ava become established through a team, through training, and through ongoing efforts that will support and encourage you. I do have the newest Ava brochure here and on the table and back today if you just simply want to know a little bit more about that. Going forward, we have more nuanced trainings that we can bring. But we want to begin the conversation here and now. We want to continue the conversation. You are more than welcome to talk to Megan after the worship service, but two things real quick before we end. One is we wanted to leave as much time as possible in between services for prayer. And what this looks like is I've asked Pastor Megan to be available in this front area. And I think Caitlin also will be around and I'll be around as well. For anybody that needs prayer, just to come on up. If you felt in any way, shape or form the Spirit prompting you, come on up. We want to pray for you and pray with you. Okay? And want to create that space. So again, this is one of those Sundays where if you want to encourage you, fellowship, so on and so forth, if you could kind of lead quietly and make your way to the fellowship hall and connect with your brothers and sisters you haven't seen in a while. We want this space to be a quieter space so we could pray, okay? So just somebody to talk to, pray with, be right up here in front of the cross. And lastly, and I, I need to share this, um, I, I am so grateful uh, for for you being here not just because of the difficult surroundings in terms of what's happened in our church community but also uh, I found out a few weeks ago that one of your daughters Kelly uh, was diagnosed with cancer bad cancer yeah um, and uh, as many of you know Lucas who's a part of our church family uh, shared with me a few weeks ago. so that's something that's been really heavy and sitting on their entire family Kelly's a pastor and she has uh how many kids does she have? Again? She has three. Yeah. Four-year-old twins yeah. and a 19-month-old. Yeah. And what type of cancer does she have? She has stage four metastatic breast cancer. Her, her yeah. two positive, yeah. which is about the roughest diagnosis you can yeah. get. She has begun chemo. She's doing well with it. Mm-hmm. Her symptoms have been minimal. Mm-hmm. But we are shocked and stunned at yeah. this. Yeah. yeah. So as we talked about putting together this Sunday. It's something that's been heavy on her heart. And so I can't tell you how grateful I am for you to be here this morning to be able to share with our church. And uh, what I wanted to do is as she ministers to us and prays for us, I wanted us as a church to pray for her. Can we do that? And bless her. So join me, church. Join me, church. God, we pray for our dear sister, Megan. We pray that as she uh, prepares to minister to us and and, and then to bless us as a church family through prayer and other preaching, that you would strengthen her, 
that you would fill her up, God, that she would lack nothing as an instrument and vessel for you. We thank you for her courage and her willingness, God, to give of herself, pour out herself in the midst of the difficult challenges that she as a mom and a grandma is facing during this time. God, we want to lift up Kelly this morning. And, and God, we do not say this flippantly. We believe this with all of heart. We believe that you are a God of healing. We believe that you are the master physician. And we believe that when you ask us to seek, knock, and to, and to ask God, that, that you call us to do that, believing that you will answer in accordance with your will. So we lift up Kelly to you and her husband and her dear children, God. And we pray for complete healing and restoration, yes. believing that there is healing in Jesus name God without flinching we pray for that as a church body without flinching and hesitating we ask our good heavenly father that you would restore her body yes. and in the midst of that that you would be with the doctors and the nurses and everyone that has been gifted and trained to provide health care that Kelly would receive the utmost best care God that is available out there may they be instruments God of your healing as well as you utilize these doctors and nurses God may they be a gentle reminder and presence of your love yes even as she goes through this difficult time God days like today I'm just reminded that we live in a broken world And that it's okay to sit in the midst of the brokenness and just grieve and say, God, this stinks. And say, God, this hurts. And God, I'm confused. And God, I don't know why. And then on days like this, I'm reminded that this is why you came. Yes, to restore all this, to heal all this to one day restore our bodies our world our relationships until the entire world as your word says is filled with the glory of God yes. and on days like this God we sit and we mourn and we grieve and at the same time we cling on desperately to hope found in you we cling on to hope and we lean into that that's all we can do sometimes we don't look for flippant easy answers nor do we deny what we feel we bring all of it to you because you could handle all of it so we as a church body come to you now and simply pray your kingdom come let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven what I'm going to do is in light of this uh, I'm just going to ask Pastor Megan to just kind of make her way to the, to the front of the sanctuary here and I'm going to just pray a prayer of benediction church and bless you Again, if you would, please, please, please take time and opportunity. If you need prayer, someone to talk to, come forward. You may just want to sit and linger in your seat. 
put a shoulder on a friend that you came with today and just pray for each other. And for the rest of us, as you fellowship and as you connect, maybe today is a good day to remember how grateful we are to have the community that we have, people to mourn with, people to grieve with, people to rejoice with. And again, if as many of you could make your way to Tim and Christy's house sometime today, just to let them know that you're thinking of them. I'm sure they will be blessed. Stand with me. Stand with me. Stand with me. And you do this uh, with me. Just, just stretch your hand out just in front of you. Just stretch your hand out in front of you. Just stretch your hand just with your hand, palm up. God, we stretch our hands forth. And we say this morning, we want to receive the words, God, that we are to speak to people that need it this morning. We stretch our hands to say, we want to receive your unconditional love that reminds us, God, that every single one of us is created in the image of God with redemptive purposes to make a difference in this world. And we receive that right now so that we can carry it with us this week to others that need it. We stretch our hands out, God, to say that we receive, God, your grace and the truth of your Son and the death, resurrection, and ultimate return of the King that will restore and renew all things. And we'll receive the hope that is found in that, God, and we receive it so that we might be, God, communicators of that hope to others in and around us. But most of all, we lift up our hands and utter surrender and trust and dependence on you to acknowledge this morning that every breath, every life, every gift comes from you and that we cannot do this without you. We lift up our hands in utter surrender and saying, we cannot do this without you. Not for a second. We receive that. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen. Go in peace.